Welcome to Art for All, sponsored by Sketchbook School. As a thank you for joining us, I'd like to give you a free ebook and our monthly newsletter full of tips, recommendations, and other cool stuff. Just head over to sketchbookschool.com to claim your freebies and to learn more about our classes and workshops and our membership program. We believe that art is for everyone, and I hope our podcast inspires you to create and explore your own artistic journey. Thanks for listening. On with the show. Hi there, and welcome to Art for All, the Sketchbook School podcast. I am Danny Gregory, and I am the founder of Sketchbook School. I'm also uh, a writer and a sketchbook artist and a co-host of this podcast with my friend, John. Go ahead, John. Introduce yourself. I'm John Laws, or Jack, and I am a scientist with a sketchbook and as of uh, recently a lunar observer. So I've been geeking out a lot <laughs> watching the moon and had, had a ton of fun with it. And, and I'm Danny's virtual friend. So that's interesting. So you've gone from being, last time we talked, you were interested in dabbling in lunar observation, but now it's become part of your identity. Uh, you that's are right. an observer. Yeah, you, you, you are what you observe. <laughs> yes. Wow. You're a full-blown um, full lunatic now. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, it, the, the, the lunacy has, 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 has crept into all sorts of aspects of my life. I woke my daughter up in the morning on the weekend so that we could go out to uh, a hilltop to watch the moon rise in the morning. And we stayed up. It was all hazy and we couldn't find the moon. So we just ran around climbing things and catching ladybugs, but eventually saw saw the moon in the morning. And then last thing before she went to bed, she was out on the back porch with me, sitting on my lap with a, looking through the lens of a telescope as we we're looking up at the the moon now over in the western sky and talking about all the patterns and things we saw. So for the last several days, I, I have just been 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 deep in moon observation. I got a little break during the new moon because because the moon you, you can't see the moon. But now that it's back in the sky, I'm my this this delightful obsession is uh, continuing. You know, yeah, I've been aware of the moon the last few days too. But yesterday, my my sister and my brother in law and my niece were visiting us. And so as a treat, we got to go to visit my other brother-in-law. So they're not related. Who runs this planetarium here at Arizona State University. And he's devised this whole planetarium. I mean, he's it's like this whole sort of center. The, the department that he's part of is called the, is the Department of it's Space or is it yeah, Earth and Space Exploration? So it's geologists as well as astrophysicists and all kinds of people all in the same kind of building. And so he runs this, this sort of, it's basically like a center for public education, but they have things like, they have a full-scale model of the lunar, of the Mars rover, like as you come in is, is the full-scale oh. model there. And they're um, actually updating it now to reflect the new Mars rover. 
Let me putting a little bit of, 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 of more red dust on top of the model as it. Uh, I think they're also giving it like some extra features, like the full like uh, sports pack, you know, like with the. It now has now has the, like they're taking out the CD player and putting in a, you know, a streaming Spotify oh, yeah. membership and yeah, they're, Rover they're, two point Yeah, they're just making it making it cool. I mean, the new one has a has a drone on it. Yeah, I mean, amazing, the, right? Yeah, the the idea that our our understanding of gravitation is good enough that not only can we launch a rocket off of this planet, we can have it d- d- just the descent through the Martian atmosphere was this crazy multi-stage process as they're decelerating this package and then deploying you know all sorts of measures to touch down so being able to kind of touch down on mars and then launch a helicopter yeah yeah it's pretty that's, cool that's, that's that's next level stuff that's 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 sort of saying yeah your understanding of yeah yes gravitation is just a theory <laughs> but our our understanding of it is useful enough that we can launch a helicopter on mars go I know, science and- go science <laughs> I know. And what are those Martians thinking? <laughs> Suddenly, yeah. You know how annoying we all find drones, but... That, that, that's right. Like, did you know that this is a no-drone zone? I know. They're probably saying, like, is that my Amazon package? Oh, no, it's just stupid <laughs> NASA guys again. Yeah, so, so then... But he took us... He's building a full-scale replica of some kind of a space... Is it, is it a satellite... I'm not sure what it is exactly. It's this giant thing with a solar dish on it, and then he's building these huge wings onto it, and it's going to hang in the lobby, and it's like 75 feet wide. It's a full-scale model of this thing that is basically is it one of those telescopes they send out into deep space, something like that. Anyway, it's huge, and he's building this perfect replica out of it, out of aluminum and various other things. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. So, but he runs the, the, basically we got to go and have a 3D through our galaxy and then to the very edges of the known universe. Cause he, cause his, the data set that they use to, to create this planetarium is all known information about the universe is in there. So he can fly to any spot in the universe that, that we've gotten data on. And yeah, and how much and fun? Did, yeah, so <laughs> so basically, he did this really cool thing where he shows all of the the sort of the zodiac, right? So you see all of the Big Dipper, and you see all the different star configurations, and and there's like a connective line that draws them crudely, and you realize like how far off from being actually the zodiac those shapes are. But then the thing is three D. So he shows us, we pull out of our galaxy and you see it not arrayed against a flat sky, but you see the stars in three dimensions. So you see them all like sticking up in different directions. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So in other words, mm-hmm. if you look at, if you look at an Taurus, it's the stars are all different distances from us. So it becomes this three dimensional shape. It was super cool. But then also we flew way beyond that. So you realize those stars that we see with the naked eye 
are just a tiny, tiny drop in the universe. I find these these trips to planetariums often make me feel so insignificant that I'm kind of depressed for a couple of days afterwards. And so I'm still in the in the fog of that, of the sense of like, here's this gigantic universe. And, you know, my troubles don't amount to a hill of beans in the, yeah. sc- in the scope of things. It's just, it's, it's amazing. The, and, and also just the, it's this, this testament to our human capacity to figure stuff out. Right to to figure out the structure of this universe that we're in, and that when when you sit here on you when you lay in the on your back on, in the grassy meadow, and you look up at the sky, the dome of the sky, it sort of feels like there's this one sort of this this ceiling over you with little dots painted on it, but then to envision those as this giant three dimensional web that, and then 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 you're you know, when, when you're, or, or even just visualizing as you're looking out across the Milky Way, that you're looking out through the edge of your galaxy. Sort of imagine the galaxy as this giant pancake of stars. And you're in the middle of that pancake. And if you look out through the top of the pancake, you don't have to look through very much batter. But if you look through the side of the pancake, there's tons of batter there. And that's that's the Milky Way. And, and you start sort of envisioning this in three dimensions. And then you look out and there's the Andromeda galaxy, naked eye, visible, whole other galaxy. And then with the with our our, our telescopes being able to see further and further and further out into space. And then what's fun about that, as you're looking out and seeing things that are further out in space, you're looking increasingly back in time. So you're looking into the past, right? This is, this is crazy, crazy stuff. I know. The, I mean, um, he, he was pointing out some stars or some things way deep into the universe that were a million light years away or more. So that means that the light, by the time it reaches us, those things were, hap- were <laughs> existed yes. long before human beings did. I mean, more than a million, they were. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that, so that's, that's old, old light. That's you're seeing the past. You're, you're actually seeing the past. So if it takes, I don't know, maybe, I don't know, is it six minutes or something for the, for sun, how long is it, I don't know how long does it take for the sunlight to get to us here. That's just, that's a little bit of time. The, uh, if you're, if you're in the middle of summer laying in your back in the field, there, there's, there's these three bright stars that are above you and what they call the, the summer triangle. It's these three stars of Vega, Deneb, and Altair. And they make up the summer triangle. They're each part of a different constellation, but they're usually overhead in the middle of the summer. And when you look at one of them, you're seen 16 years into the past. You look at one of the other stars, it's 25 years into the past. And you look at Deneb in Cygnus the Swan, and that's 3,550 years into the past. And it's your, your, your eyes are time traveling. It's crazy. It's crazy. I mean, 
There was also at one point he made all of the planets in our solar system into their own, their real relative sizes. So a lot of times, like you see, you know, here's Mars and here's Saturn and so forth, and you see them as like a giant thing with rings around them. But when they're actually a little teeny tiny dot, like even the big planets, a little teeny tiny dot, when you look at the whole scale of our so just our solar system, and you, you realize like, to the sun. Yeah. Well, oh, yeah. just relative to the distances between them. So it's like a little tiny. I mean, he showed us here's the earth and here's the moon. And it's so far away. Like we think of, we think of the moon as being this thing that's sort of circling the earth, you know, relatively close by. But when you see the actual relative scales, not the relative scales, the actual size of them, it's so far away. The moon is so far uh-huh. away uh-huh. compared to how big the earth is. It's, it's hard to believe that it even has a relationship to us. He also showed us this, the paths of all of the planets and how several of the planets, including Pluto, are, are a completely different orbital shape. So they're not, they're not, on a, they're not flat to the this, this sort of circles that the others are tracing. Uh-huh. That's because they're newer and they haven't like sort of sunk into the same orbital thing. And the idea is they're, they're millions and billions of years old too. I don't know. It's the whole thing just is, it, I just, it's, I'm it, kind of overwhelmed by it. It, it. it is, it is so beautiful. Just that a human, the human's desire to figure stuff out. And then our capacity with that, with that James Webb telescope. Yeah. They've, they've, they've just put it up there. I mean, that's going to allow us to see so, so, so far back into the past. Uh, it's it's you know each one of these little tools is just this is a is 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 going to make our capacity to understand and be in awe of this world because it's it's not like we're we're getting this whole thing figured out and we've got all the answers the more we learn the more we understand just you know how much we don't know and just how how wondrous this this landscape is it's I, yeah um, the fact that the james webb the fact that it got into position because i remember him my brother-in-law telling me he's like yeah it's going to be like a million miles from earth i thought it's going to be like you know hundreds of years before it gets there and then in three weeks it was in position or something like that or six weeks some like it traveled a million miles in six weeks i don't know I feel like I'm, I'm blathering around a lot of it because it's it's so incomprehensible to me, and uh, I feel so ignorant well, about it. Well, well, that's also why I was watching the moon. Yeah, because when when I'm I'm watching the moon, what I'm doing is on on just with the tools that I have in my 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 my, my garage or my my sketch bag, I can look at phenomena around me and start to figure some stuff out. And everything that we know about the structure and the shape of the universe has come from people making observations and then sort of saying like, well, if I'm seeing that, so what's, what's going on with that? And well, maybe it's this, well, if that's true, then I would expect to see this. It's, it's, it's this, the the process of looking at 
at evidence rather than just looking something up on the web to try to figure stuff out. And the, the more you look, the more you realize that there's stuff going on that I don't understand. And then what I want to do is to, 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 to use that to kind of leverage my brain to get interested, to kind of investigate the next step and the next step and the next step. The more you look, the more you realize how much you don't know. So here's, here's my little example of that. So earlier this, a few weeks ago, I was watching the waning crescent moon. And so the waning means so it's getting smaller. So it's almost turning into the new moon where it disappears. So there's a little crescent. And to do that, I was, it would, it would rise sometime in the evening and I would track it until I went to bed, then wake up sometime or a couple of times, anytime I'd wake up in the middle of the night, I would run out, take some measurements, notice where it is, draw some pictures of it, and then go back to bed. And I, I was recording sort of, sort of what is the, the, the path of the moon across the sky. And then it sort of got to the point where, you know, it would would come up at, at, at night, but it'd also be out some for also part of the day. And I was observing that on this waning crescent moon, that the, the arc of the moon cut sort of this low, so it went up and then down across the sky, but it didn't go as high as and as far as the arc of the sun. I had expected them both to sort of be on the same track, but they mm-hmm. weren't. So I thought, well, that's interesting. And, you know, maybe this is some evidence that, you know, if uh, one that that could be perhaps due, I'm thinking, to the plane of the moon's orbit not being aligned with the spin of the Earth. But check this out. Yesterday, I was out and I observed the moon and the sun all day. So this is with the, 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 now the sun, the, we've gone through our phase of the new moon. We're now in the phase of the, it's the waxing crescent moon. And I watched where the sun came up. The sun came up first. And then um, a few hours after that, the moon came up and the moon was now tracing an arc across the sky on the outside, not the sort of the, the, the inside of the arc of the sun, but it was on the outside. So sometimes the moon is traveling across the sky outside of the orbit of the sun and sometimes inside that. And so now what I, I'm realizing that I need to do is now that's going to get me, I want to track the, the, the movement of these both on a full moon and also on the half moon. And I'm wondering, you know, like maybe half moons are going to be where there's going to be the greatest difference between them. Maybe is it on the full moon that they're going to be traveling along the same arc in the sky? So I'm just starting by noticing cool patterns that are going on. And then I'm going to, then that is going to motivate me to kind of get out and observe more patterns. And then 
I'm going to sit down and just start drawing lots of pictures to try to see if I can kind of come up with some little diagram or model that helps me kind of explain what I'm actually seeing. And that's, that's sort of on a micro level what we're doing with the universe. We're looking at evidence. We're looking for the patterns that we see. And then we're also developing explanations for all of these sort of weird, unexpected things that we, we're constantly bumping into. That's, and that's, the, that, that, that's the history of science, right? I mean, what you're doing now is what people did hundreds of years ago and presumably have, have already answered a lot of the questions you're asking today, hopefully. Right. Um, oh, but- yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm very aware that the stuff that I'm doing, I'm not going to be making any new discoveries. Right, but you're, you're experiencing those, that information yourself. Yes, I'm experiencing the information and I'm intentionally embedding myself into that process of inquiry to sort of see what can I figure out about what's going on in a way that's other than Wikipedia. Yeah. Hopefully one thing you'll experience is that the Earth, doesn't, doesn't the sun not have an orbit? Aren't we the ones orbiting the sun? That's right. Yeah, but you referred to the sun's orbit, and I thought I did. Yeah. Okay. Oh, so I, never, never mind. So, so the paths uh, of the two orbits, and I thought, well, doesn't the sun just kind of stay where it is all the time, and we orbit it? Well, yeah. or, or the, the the sun is moving through the galaxy and sort of on its way, and then we're we're all kind of but we don't even know what that path it. is. So yeah, if I if I had <clears throat> if I said referred to the orbit of the sun, please just account that to you know you, youthful exuberance and enthusiasm about these. These, 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 these cool phenomena that I'm getting to play with. So to bring us back to Art for All, the Sketchbook School podcast, I think a lot of what you're talking about is in some ways true of all drawing that we do, right? In the sense that we are, whenever we're drawing something, we're learning about it, right? We're learning how it operates, how it looks, how it reflects light, what, how mm-hmm. it's put together, all those kinds of things. Like drawing is an exploration of the phenomena around us and sometimes the phenomena inside the phenomena inside of us as well as we're expressing emotions and perspectives and and subjective subjectivity and so forth but but i think this idea that drawing i mean i think drawing as a means of understanding is at the heart of of what you're talking about but i think is also the heart of a lot of what we're doing when we draw is we're we're we are being scientists in some way, drawing you know a portrait or drawing uh, a landscape. We're using our drawing to understand it. And what I want to do, so normally what we do, for, I guess it's time to introduce the podcast. Start it off now that we're twenty four <laughs> minutes into it. But two things I want to say is one, if you have any comments about what we've said so far or are going to say, you can email us at podcast at sketchbookschool dot com. I'll mention that later on too, but but uh, we'd love to hear get feedback from you. And secondly, the way that generally the way this podcast works is we pick a topic and we explore it in some way. And sometimes we stay close to it and sometimes we go far afield. But I think in some ways we have been talking about the subject without really intending to, today's subject, which is a term that I wasn't really that familiar with until I've heard you use it now, which is the term growth mindset. And growth mindset is, is, is it, I think it's a relatively new concept, isn't it? 
growth mindset? Is that a new concept in education? Yes. I think that probably some of these ideas have been the terminology. Sort of had other incarnations and they're, they're, these are built on other ideas. But yeah, the, 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 I, I think that our, our understanding and this current framing of it, which I find really useful, is, is a new phenomena. The work of Joe Buller and Carol Dweck and others really has turned this into something that we can, it's easier to wrap your head around and then turn that into applied action steps. Right. So I, I looked at uh, Carol Dweck's book. It's called Mindset, the New Psychology of Success. Strange way of putting it exactly, but the, this new psychology of success. So growth mindset, can you explain what growth mindset is and what fixed mindset means? Sure, sure. So if you believe that the brain that you have, the brain that you're born with, uh, is the one that you're stuck with, and it has its, 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 it, and, and that it is sort of fixed the way it is. So if you have a problem if if you if you have for instance difficulty you know drawing drawing faces you say i'm well then i'm bad at drawing faces right that that the the characteristics that you have are fixed they're not going to change oh so that even the the way that you describe it i am bad at drawing faces yes it's as if it's like this is who i am i'm a person who's bad at drawing faces Right, position. Yeah, it it go it 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 uh, that sort of thinking this way leads to uh, which which is the way that a a lot of us think about intelligence and abilities. Um, like oh, I'm not an athletic person. Oh, I'm not a math person. Right. Oh, I'm not an artistic person. That I there's this characteristic out there called you know like being good at math and some people have it and some people don't. So if you believe that and you struggle with math and you say like, Oh, okay, then I'm not a, I'm not a math person. And sort of in, in this sort of, you know, thinking about then, then, then what, what am I good at? Maybe I should take those things that I am good at and just go do those things because I'm stuck with whatever my challenges were. That's, that's the, the, the fixed mindset. And it's, it's a very pers- pervasive idea in how brains look, work. We used to think that like the human brain developed until some point in adolescence and then stopped and then slowly degenerated over time, depending on how much partying you're doing. Right. But what people who study the brain have figured out is that that hypothesis of the way that the brain works it's it's interesting, but it's just wrong. It's just factually wrong. That's not the way that the brain works. It, really, what happens with your brain is that your brain grows continuously throughout your entire life, laying down new tracks of neurons and new synapses connecting neurons. Your brain is all learning is your brain stitching together new little tracks of neurons. And so you're physically changing the shape of your brain. And the, the, in order to get your brain to do that, your, your brain tends to be kind of a, a lazy 
lump of electric meat. And if it doesn't have to build new uh, material, it's not going to. If you keep doing something and you struggle with it, that repetition with effort is a signal that gets your brain to like the first time you're, you're doing this, this, this activity, your brain says, well, that's hard. Please stop it. Then you try it again. Your brain says, that's hard. Please stop it. Then you do it again. And then your brain says like, look, you keep doing this thing. All right. I'm going to, you keep showing up for this, this one activity. I guess I'm going to have to, I'm going to make it easier for myself. I'm just going to devote some neurons to this activity. So the next time you do it, it's going to be a little bit easier for me. So your brain is just trying to take the path of least resistance. And because you keep pushing that brain, it the path of least resistance is then to grow new neurons around this activity. So with practice and work and our effort, we change physically change the shape of our brain. And the implications of that on how we think about what we do are profound. And so just this idea of, do you see your brain as this fixed thing, or do you see your brain as this thing that is growing and changing and is plastic, and that you actually have, you've got a say in this. You get to determine areas that your brain will grow by what you choose to work on. That's the... In in the, that's sort of the, the the broad distinction between sort of fixed and growth mindset. And then when you think about if you have if you're thinking that you're stuck in whatever you are with the brain that you have, if something is difficult, well, that's probably your brain would say, you'd say, well, that's something that I should avoid. But if you have a growth mindset and something is difficult, you go like, oh wow, this is this is that's that's hard. Oh wow, that's interesting, right? This feeling of it being hard—that's not a signal that I should stop doing this. That's the feeling of my brain growing, and I wonder what it's going to be like next week if I keep messing around with this. I mean, it's analogous to exercise, right? I mean, if you exercise in a way that you've never exercised before, then you end up—you know—you might hurt yourself, you might cause yourself—you know—at least pain and uh, stiffness and those kinds of things, but. After a while, it becomes easier to do that thing, and eventually it becomes just part of what you can do. And then if you stop doing it, of course, the muscles will atrophy. But but in general, it makes sense that the brain would function like other parts of your body, right? Why, why would it be so different? In some ways, it seems, with the exception of your DNA, most of you changes. Yeah. So yeah, with, with, with exercise, if you're doing push-ups and they, you know, people are saying, and, and you, you do it to the point where it hurts, right? That's, that's where the exercise people are saying like, like, all right, you know, give me one more, give me one more, because then you're going to be tearing your little muscle fibers and they'll be growing back stronger. And you're going to be like, all bulked out the next time you step out of your house. But if you're, if you're thinking, you know, why am I doing this? It hurts. And it's not going to make me stronger. You would put down those weights and go like, well, this is silly. There's no reason to do this. But if you see the relationship between that work and that effort and that struggle and the growth, then that gives you a reason to persist in the face of, of, of those, those, those difficulties or, or, or what's painful. And I think there's also this sort of old dog, new tricks idea too, that as you get older, you can't learn new things, you know, your brain (laughs) is right. You're just, well, and I think there's another phenomenon, which is that you think you've already learned it. 
you know, and I think about, oh. right, I could, I, so I wrote this essay, I wrote these essays every week and I wrote this essay last week and it's called actually teaching an old dog, old tricks. And the idea was there were things that I learned when I was young that I didn't necessarily learn that well, but I learned them well enough to just kind of keep living with them. And the example I gave was swimming. And I said, you know, I never really learned to swim properly. And I kind of, I, I mean, I could do enough to kind of fake it. I could sort of dog paddle a bit, but my whole life I was afraid to really go into situations where I might be required to swim because I assumed that I was not going to be able to do it because I was, you know, I just, I didn't learn when I was young. So therefore, you know, and it's like, you, you know, you might meet an adult who never learned to ride a bicycle. And I think there's just a lot of things that we think we we can't do anymore, or we learned it well enough that there's no real reason to revisit that learning. And I see it a lot with people with technology, where people think they know how to use their computer well enough, good enough. You know, I know how to do certain things. There's a lot of features I don't know how to use. I'll ask, you know, someone else to help me fix it when the need comes up. And, you know, that's again, like a resistance to to going beyond the bare necessities or thinking that you can't or thinking that it, that there's no point or that it will be impossibly difficult. So that's this, you, you've just sort of tied in another whole wonderful category of thinking, which is how we, yeah, we, we have the illusion that we understand that our competency in things is is a lot better than it actually is, and so this it's the and when we have just a little a little bit of information is a dangerous thing because then we think you know I, basically I understand perspective, right? right? But but understanding perspective it's actually this deep deep well of all this this rich stuff, and I kind of scratch the surface of it. And okay, I've got my horizon line, and there's my vanishing point. <laughs> what else is there to say? But if I and so it's it's easy to get this 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 sense that you have that you know something, and that you also you, we have the illusion that we know a lot more than we actually do. There, well, there may not be that much more to learn. Right. 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 That, yeah. That, that, this is. That that or, or yeah that that the my my understanding of whatever it is 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 sufficient, and that I it and 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 good enough for me to hold forth at a dinner party about it. There's there's or, something or called on Facebook. The, the, yeah. Yes. Yes. And 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 I will, I will with this 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 knowledge. I will put a comment in the chat right. about whatever I I think I am you know sage enough to enlighten people on but you've heard, you've been at these these dinner parties where there's 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 some there's some topic that you have done the deep dive geeking on and you it it is it really is your personal area of mastery and you hear somebody else talking about it and you realize like this person has no idea what they're talking about well, the the humbling thing to think about is that's actually me 
every time I'm talking about something that I also don't have that mastery of. So when if you just a little bit of information gives you the the feeling that you really know this and you don't have you don't you don't see the size of the cloth you don't see how much other information is out there you don't have the tools to even understand your own incompetence at it this is what's called the dunning kruger effect in which all of us are unable to really assess the degree to which we are not good at the things that we're not good at. The flat world effect, you know, in the sense that the world seems to be flat. So therefore, you know, there's no real reason to, to know more than that. You know, I can tell that there's a horizon, the world's flat. And you can survive, I guess, to a certain extent with those kinds of more limited bits of knowledge, little limited bits of information. I think about it with in terms of art. Like I, I've used colored pencils for a long time. I've used watercolored pencils. Recently we had a workshop on watercolored pencils with a person who's like in the who's like the president of the watercolor pencil society or something like that. And she showed us things that you can do with a watercolor pencil that I didn't even know to think to ask about. You know, and you say, well here's this thing that I seems it's a pencil what's what's hard about that and then you realize oh okay you know it's like it's not doesn't just look like a plane it actually flies you can actually do <laughs> incredible things with it and you know i think that that's again about are we pushing ourselves beyond these limits of discomfort that you, that you were talking about before you know, are we allowing our brain to refuse to, you know, to stop us from trying to expand and possibly losing out on all kinds of experiences and depths and richness mm-hmm. um, because mm-hmm. of that? You know, I, wonder, I, wrote, I took a few notes from this book I thought it would be interesting to talk about, the, the Carol Dwork book but I, that we mentioned before, which is called uh, The Mindset, The New Psychology of Success by Carol Dwork. And uh, she's talking about she talks about a, a couple of situations in business, and I think she's talking about Lee Iacocca, who was the – this book came out in 2006, so some of the examples are a little dated. But Lee Iacocca was the you know the president of – or the CEO of Chrysler, and he kind of brought it back from the dead. And that his whole – his mindset was basically hire the best people, and you will fix things. Hire the best people. And so then they would go to schools and they would hire the best engineering students. And they would go to, I guess, raid other companies and hire the best people. But because he had a fixed mindset or he betrayed a fixed mindset because they provided no infrastructure or resources for people to continue to learn and improve. So you hire like the top student and then you put, then you say, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to constantly evaluate you to see if you are the best and to continue to insist that you be the best. <laughs> but we're not going to provide any resources to help you improve and get better. And, you know, as she says, people with a fixed mindset think that employees who are not perfect from day one will never be, so it's best to let them go quickly. And similarly, <laughs> the people who are the best, you know, give them all the power and just, you know, and everything will be fine, you know? And that's, I think it's also this idea of natural aptitude. I wrote this book called How to Draw That Talent. 
And I talk to people a lot about talent because people seem to think that this is an essential thing for drawing is that you have to have talent. So you need this natural aptitude to do something well. And that, that basically it's not about practice. It's not about experience. It's not about pushing yourself. It's just about, do you have it or not? You know, and, and also you judge people and yourself by, are you good or bad at something? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think we see that. And it's like this, this, at this one little moment in time, here's my test, here's my evaluation, right. that's your score. And then from that score, I think I can predict your future performance. Right. And so you have all this um, testing-based education, yeah. right, where it's just about yes. going from one set of tests to another and then figuring out, like, who the best are and preparing them for the test. But that's actually, that is a fixed mindset. It's not... It's just yeah. all we have if, to do if, is find the right thing about it. Like, like the idea of an IQ test from the point of view of the fixed mindset and the growth mindset from the fixed mindset, this makes total sense. All right, here's this test. You're going to get your number. So you're going to get your number at the end of the day. Now you can figure out, are you an alpha or are you a beta? Right. And, you know, that's going to then determine like what trade I should go into or sort of the, my, my, my level in the management system. But from a fixed mind perce- mindset perspective, that's like, what? Well, what is the real value of that? Like, this is one little kind of window of this. This one little moment at that point. Here's how you scored on those things, which probably just also just reflects how well you slept that night. But the, but if what what I want to know is. You know, what are you passionate about? What are you working on? Where are you? What's your growth edge? Where are you moving? That it's, we're not this fixed static point. Here's your IQ. This is this, you're this dynamic growing thing that is going to next week be in a different loci, right? And, and so, yeah, the, the 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 testing to evaluate you, re- reward you or punish you, fire you or hire you, and and keeping that as this side of things. I I think that's a, that's a wonderful. Yeah, there's another note that I wrote from reading. She says since people with a fixed mindset are quick to judge themselves and other people, right, as being good or bad, right? That's that's kind of what you do. Is this person mm-hmm. good? Is are they bad at something? They assume that others are judging them all the time too, mm. right? So they feel the need to show how talented and smart they are every uh. chance they get. So you know, a person like that is not going to be great at collaboration. They want all the credit, right? They want their, and they're probably insecure about their position because everything is hanging on this "Are you good at it or not?" thing, and you assume that nobody else is going to be somebody who may be bad isn't going to get better and whatever level you're at you just need to protect that because if somebody better comes along then you're out because everything is a fixed point that's right and if if i see somebody else if i've got fixed mindset i see somebody else who is really doing something well that is that's an incredible threat that's that's a threat that they are successful at something. Whereas if I've got a growth mindset, I see somebody who's successful at something, I go like, oh, wow, what are they doing? Right? What strategies are they doing that is kind of working for them? And how can I use that? 
And so too with feedback. If you've got the fixed mindset position, you're stuck where you are and somebody gives you feedback that is negative, that is insulting. I'm mad at them. I hate them. I find reasons to... my position, my my well-being too. Yeah, this is the threat. This is a full-on threat. And, but if I've got the growth mindset, then I'm actually going to go out seeking criticism and feedback because like, maybe I can find somebody who's got some, maybe I'm going to go to that person who I see really doing well and, 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 and actually seek out their, 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 their critique because that's going to, they're going to help me really pinpoint where I need to tweak to kind of get to my next level. So how I think, how I see myself in relationship to others, how I see others, how I respond to that, 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 that feedback really makes a huge difference. Kind of a, a practical example of this. In 2001, I went down to, I, I left my job at the Academy of Sciences and I went to, down to University of California at Santa Cruz and spent nine months in a scientific illustration program there. I had this wonderful science illustration program, and it was a nine months, very intensive, deep dive into strategies and techniques of, of scientific illustration. And sounds really, sounds really fun. It was an absolute blast. Right. And I was, I was lucky to kind of get in there with this just this lovely cohort of people. And we would have these group critiques where we'd sit around together and we'd put up all the drawings we'd been working on that week. And one by one, we would, we would analyze it. And at the start, the critiques would go something like this. All right, so what do you folks think about this one? Oh, that's just so nice. Oh gosh, that's lovely. That's just just beautiful. Oh boy. Oh, there's just oh, looks just so lifelike. What about this one? Oh gosh, that's beautiful. Oh, that's just lovely. <laughs> you know, and and you know, so this went on for a couple of weeks. And you know, people said like people then people started to kind of get a little bit more impatient with that and they say like, "So, what what should I do next? What would what do I do now to kind of take it to the next step? And people would say, oh, frame it. <laughs> that was the advice. Like, what do I do next? Frame it. And, and then I, I, I wish I remember who it was, but I remember somebody started this, this conversation. And they said, like, look, we've been having these conversations. People are saying, like, I, they say, I don't want to hear anybody say frame it. I don't want to hear just people kind of gush that that looks lovely. I want to know what specific parts of this are successful and why they are so that I can do that again. And what specific parts of this are less successful so that I can do that differently. And does anybody have any strategies to do that differently? So when you are giving me feedback and critique, let's do that. So this person came up and asked the whole group, 
fortunately, we had kind of a culture there where we liked each other, we respected each other, we could have these conversations. This person basically said, no more fixed mindset feedback. I'm not just looking for to, to walk out here feeling warm and fuzzy. I want to walk out of here a better illustrator. And they, and then everybody, there was this stunned silence and everybody's like, yes, 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 yes. All right. And so the idea of giving feedback as, oh, frame it, then sort of became this inside joke that we had about kind of useless feedback. And from that point on, the critiques were these dynamic, interesting, thoughtful, helpful strategy sessions to pull us all further. And they became so much more useful. And so I've always sort of remembered that, 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 that pair of things that to sort of notice what is going well and be specific about that, not just like, oh, that looks so nice. But this part in here, I really am getting a sense of light in this part because of the way you've handled this contrast right next to this highlight. That dark next to that light, poom, that sparkles. That is, and this part here, it's feeling a little bit flat from like, see how these lines here are really tangent? That part then becomes a little bit more confusing to me. I want more clarification with the structure, you know, whatever it is to be specific with those things that is then giving feedback that promotes the growth. And I, think, I think the cliche of getting, I mean, the art school critique, I remember there was a movie called art school confidential and you know, it was about the critiques, which could be completely destroying to people, you know, critiques that were not critique critiques that were probably done within the, realm of competition you know the notion mm -hmm. that there's you know that you have to rip down of the other artists in order to flourish or that you know particularly for people who are insecure in their own art making they will use the critique as an opportunity to show off their understanding of trends in art or their understanding of you know art making and how they're superior to you so there's also the flip side of that which is the critique that is designed just to destroy you. Mm -hmm. um, that's not growth mindset, of course. That's yeah. not, let's all learn together. That's, I don't, you know. That, I, that's I, that's I, jerks. <laughs> jerks, exactly, right. Um, but I think it's also yeah, comes from yeah, that insecurity so that, come, that we were talking about before about if you have a fixed mindset, you assume that you've got to constantly defend your position because you, it's- you, You've it's, got to defend it. You've got to tear other people down. So we right. were fortunately starting in a place where people were supportive of each other. Right. And, but we then were able to take it to the next level by deliberately giving, give me feedback that is going to help me grow. Cause I want to maintain, I want to, I, by, by the time I'm done with this program, I want to have more of the good strategies and fewer of the less successful strategies and help me kind of find find those out yeah i mean i think i think it's like hiring a consultant if you hired a consultant to come in you know management consultant let's say somebody who's going to help you with your corporate strategy or help you to make your product better presumably you want them to be honest and productive and useful in their feedback but you want their feedback that's what you're paying them for and i think you can also you know you can create a piece of art 
and show it to people and their feedback can help you to make it better and it costs you nothing as opposed to hiring McKinsey or someone like that where you pay them huge amounts of money. So if we can look at the people who we're asking for feedback from as a free asset, a free tool, a way of making things better, you know, that's that's a great resource. And we always say, like, put your ego aside, but your ego has nothing to do with this process. You know, growth mindset means that you are always looking to better yourself. You're always looking to to strengthen yourself and you'll use anything that you can to keep doing that because it's not a judgment on you. Your point, your position at any point is not a judgment on you. It's just simply part of this process, this path that you're on. And if you have a fixed mindset, when you fail at something, it's a complete disaster, right? It means that it's <laughs> destroying you. Um, whereas if you have a growth mindset, you see it as an opportunity to improve, to go in new directions, to get better, to try new stuff. Yeah, that's right. So if, if something is a, 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 a challenge, I'm going to try to avoid it. If it's hard, I'm going to give up versus if it's challenge, Oh, I can actually learn something. That's actually when, when we're, when we're practicing musical instruments with my two little daughters, something that we regularly talk about is that we're learning how to practice we're learning how to and and that 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 you I want to intentionally in my practice session get myself into into this point where I am struggling. So I'm not just doing the things that I can do really well. I'm not trying to perform. I am trying to just push myself a little bit outside of the my envelope of comfort. Because that's where that's where my growth is going to happen. Not so far that I get just flooded with cortisol and panic, but um, you know, for the surfer to 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 surf the wave that's just a little bit larger than the one that you feel comfortable with, and that's that's going to be your sweet spot for for learning and growing. Right, because if you have a fixed mindset, you think that. Any judgment is just revealing the fact that you're a loser, right? So, so, uh, if, yes. so yes. if you are a loser, you can't come back from that because you don't believe you can change. So you're a loser and it's been revealed. So that's why it is so existentially threatening because this is your lot in life. It's like, it's like living in like a, a caste society or something like that. This is your caste. It's been revealed. You're not moving beyond that position. Mm -hmm. This is who you are, you know, as opposed to saying, wow, thank you. You've shown me how I can improve this thing. And I see the point that you've made and I, it, I totally agree with it. Now my thing is even better. Thanks to you. Yeah. You know, there's this one devastating study that was, was done where they took a bunch of kids and they gave them a math test. The kids were writing this math test and they did this math test. And then halfway through the math test, they, they stop and I guess take a, like a milk and cookies break. And during that time, the people running the test pretend to be looking through them and they get, have a chance to talk with each of the students. And to some of them, they say, you know, we've been looking over your scores and how you are doing here. And we observed you taking the test. You 
are doing incredibly well. You are a really good mathematician. You are, you're so good at math. <laughs> wow. We're really impressed. Congratulations. You are a great mathematician. And with the other group, they took them aside and they said, well, you know, while we were uh, watching this, we noticed that, you know, you know, there are some places where you kind of, you know, you'd hit a challenge and then you, you approached it in a slightly different way. You kind of took a different route. You were, you know, in experimenting with, with different problem solving approaches to, to, to in investigating some of these things. And you were even when they were were difficult. That when the, the challenging ones were there, you were you were sticking with it. So giving them feedback about aspects of sort of you know not not for the characteristics of who they are, but positive feedbacks feedback about the approach to that that they were taking. So in one in one case they're getting this fixed mindset even though it's positive saying you're a great mathematician that is a fixed mindset statement. The other ones were looking at what they did and that's the realm of growth. So then they turn around and they say all right now we're going to take the second half of this test. Oh and by the way for the second half here there are two different tests that you can pick up. You get to choose whichever one you want to do. You can do either one. The ones over here in pile A, those are questions just like the ones that you're looking at before. That same sort of level of difficulty and challenge. These ones over here in pile B, there are there's a number of different kinds of questions here. Some of them are more are are more difficult, but there's some also some interesting things going on in here. You can pick either one. Those kids who you told you are a good mathematician, that go straight to pile A, those ones that were just like they did before, because they know that they can do it. And if they've got this characteristic called, you're a good mathematician, how devastating would it be to find the edge of that? And they don't want to see that in themselves. And they also don't want to let down these nice researchers who gave them the cookies. They don't want to displease their parents and sort of show other people that I no longer am good mathematician. Well, those kids where you talked about the process, they're going to grab those challenging ones from pile B because there's some more interesting things in there. And let's see what happens and what could go wrong. So just by giving people feedback, um, you know, sometimes even positive feedback in the form of a growth, a fixed mindset statement is going to stunt people and prevent them from taking the risk, the, 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 the risk of the, of, of doing something and it not, it, it, it not being this, this, this perfect thing. All right. So it's like, I'm, I'm good at drawing people. People have always told me I'm draw- good at drawing people. Let's draw a landscape. Now I don't, I'm good at I don't I draw people. Why wouldn't you try and draw a landscape? Because I used to being the best at this. Yeah. And when it comes to drawing landscapes, I I probably won't be the best because I I don't do it. So I don't want to I, the indignity even to myself 
of not being the best and losing all of the pleasure and power that I think comes with being the best is something I don't want to risk. And I don't want to be like, oh, he draws people really well, but he's not that good at drawing landscapes is not a situation I want to find myself in. So even though I may turn out to be okay at drawing landscapes, I don't want to take the risk. There's no, there's no upside to me. You know, I am the king of this small pond and I have no desire to, to journey beyond it. And, you know, and I think it's, it's something that comes from schools too, right? I mean, there, this thing that you're saying, you're a good mathematician, or as we were talking before, you're a natural athlete, you're good at, you, you have a great singing voice, all these things that we're told, or worse and more likely, you know, you really can't sing. Mm-hmm. You're really yep. not that good. You're not that good at reading. You, yeah. So why don't you go and do this other thing? That label that gets put on us, often carelessly and with insufficient information and also reflective of a fixed mindset, the idea that, I mean, because for schools in general, schools want to be efficient. It's much more efficient to be able to categorize people and label them, right? And to be able to fast track certain people and be able to put people you know, into, into, into boxes makes it easier to, to handle them in underfunded, large educational institutions. So it's kind of built into the process by and large, not to help every single individual excel at anything or try, or at least experiment everything. We would rather that people were more predictable, fit into categories and, you know, worked within the boundaries. So that, that, that's sort of, and I think as adults, we can look at this and we can be objective about that and say, okay, this identity that I created for myself or that somebody else created for me may not really be necessary any longer, you know? And if I was never told that I have artistic talent when I was a kid, maybe that has nothing to do with who I am today. And somebody else had some other agenda when they said that. And, you know, I can ignore it and, and, and improve and, and try new things. I mean, because babies are born with a growth mindset, right? Babies don't assume that they are anything in particular. They want to learn and go and try all different kinds of things. So it's mm-hmm. I mean, that gets imposed on us at some point in our development. So, yeah, I think it's also the idea that within a class, you want to pay attention to the ones who are doing well or the ones who are going to be the easiest to deal with. So therefore you support and encourage the best students. And then you put other, you know, lower performing students into special programs, or you just kind of ignore them. And so the, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So what do we do if we're adults and we've basically been living within a fixed mindset our whole lives? How do we, how do we get out of that? And do we, should we get out of that? You know, because I mean, I, th- I think that there may be certain categories of things in life where a fixed mindset is okay. Like you don't have to reinvent how you tie your shoelaces every morning. You don't have to keep Actually, getting better. You don't have to I've keep got a better, better way of tying shoes. <laughs> there is there there's there's a better technique. It's a, I can teach you the Carolyn technique, perfected by my daughter. A see, there's the regular way of tying shoes. Then there's the slightly better way, and then there's the Carolyn version that you can makes a knot that will not come undone when you don't want it to is easy to untie when you do want it to, but, and, and the bow is straight across the top, but 
that we can save for another time. Better done in a probably not explained on a podcast. Probably, probably more requires some video. Yeah. Yeah. But, the, but I think first step is to, it, it actually, so, so growth mindset is something that can be taught and it's something that is now being taught in schools. Right. And what you want, part of that is understanding the science behind it and just looking at, there's now a huge body of evidence in neuroplasticity, the, the ability of our brain to grow and change with work and effort. And so to geek out on that and just kind of like, whoa, so my brain can change at, at any age based on the work that I'm doing. That is really, really interesting. And to realize then also to start to kind of categorize things that you hear and think as, right, is that kind of a growth mindset message or is that a fixed mindset message? Because there's lots of subtle, implicit, fixed mindset messages that we hear all the time. Even saying to, if I say to my daughter, you are such a good artist, it is positive and it's better than saying you are a bad artist, but it's also a fixed mindset statement. What if I instead said, wow, this last month, you have put in so much work on your drawings and look at how much better it's gotten. That is incredible. I can just see the effect of those hours that you put in there. And I'm really proud of you. Okay, but just to play devil's advocate, a fixed mindset is also can be a very positive, reassuring, reinforcing place to be. You're good at this. Why do um, those things you're not good at? Do the things you're good at that people praise you for, that have, you know, provides security and predictability for you. You don't need to go shaking everything up all the time. You don't need to constantly be growing and changing. That's part of the reason that your brain, you know, rebels against being forced to do new things. You know, it's perfectly comfortable to sit in this armchair. It's perfectly comfortable to, you know, passive and calm. And, 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 and there's, there's the danger. Because just as your brain can grow, if you stop challenging your brain, your brain will start pruning unused branches off the tree. So for many people, after they retire, there is a mental decline. And it is not because they are a certain age. It is because when they were working, their brain was constantly stimulated and challenged and they're having to work. And when they retire, they didn't know what to do. So they got a Barca lounger and Netflix. Hey, I have a Barca lounger and Netflix. <laughs> and but if if that is if that is the extent of the degree to which you challenge yourself. So so actually being on some challenging part of a growth curve is good for our brains. And is going to keep our gr brains growing and plastic and and moving. If we make it really easy for our brains, that doesn't require work. Our brains can, you know, will will trim branches off our tree.
So it is comfortable. It is a nice, pleasant feeling to think I'm so great and then sit on your Barca lounger. But it is in that struggle that we grow our brains and it's in that struggle that we maintain our brains. And so I would say for long-term, there's nothing wrong with every once in a while sitting in a Barca lounger and every once in a while watching something on Netflix. Okay. But if you want to, this, this brain that you have, this wad of electric meat between your ears, it is yours and it is responsive, responsive to what you do and it is responsive to what you don't do. And so if you are complacent with it and you don't challenge it, it will prune and we will suffer a cognitive decline from that. So on the other hand, we, if we get it, getting out there and playing with our brain is such a wonderful thing. And also if you are not on that, that sort of, let's kind of go back to the Lee Iacocca problem. Eventually Lee's going to find somebody else who's now the new better person and you're going to be replaced if you were just a static cog where you were. Well, I think what actually happened with Lee, which is part of the same continuum, is he thought he'd done his job. So he became complacent and lazy because it was like, well, I brought in the best people. My job here is done. There's nothing else to do. I don't have to continue stimulating and creating new challenges and, and reorienting and getting better. It's just a matter of like, you know, garbage in and, you know, garbage out or have whatever. No, that's not the right term, but I've, I've, I've rebuilt this building. And so I, now I'm done. And as opposed to thinking of it as a garden that constantly needs to be grown and, and challenged yeah. and pruned and you know, new feed. I think another part of it is also the reason that we need growth mindset is because we live in a time of change. We don't live in a fixed world. Now more mm. than ever, it's always been true to some extent, but now more than ever, if you can't deal with change, what are you going to do if there's a pandemic? What are you going to do mm. if you <laughs> need to depend on technology that you refuse to learn to use? You know, if you are, if you have a fixed mindset, you say, I don't use computers. I don't use Zoom. I don't, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to order f- groceries from my phone. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to learn. I'm not going to get an electric car. I'm not going to deal with change. Well, it's going to be forced upon you by the universe. And so if you are not willing to be flexible and open, you're going to end up having to rely on other people to do these things for you because you refuse to learn yourself. And ultimately, you lose your freedom and you lose your, you know, your self you know, controlling your own destiny and place in the world because you are not willing to to change and and you think you can't. I think that's a lot of it. I mean, there's nothing worse than you hear a kid say, my, my dad's stubborn, he'll never change. He always says the same thing. Mm. And so therefore, we've had to take over this or that in his life. Or therefore, you know, he isn't going to experience all the great things that he could experience because he just won't open his mind to it, you know? And I think that that's something none of us want to be in that position. And that's one of the things that comes about from just 
having this fixed mindset. So I think it's I think it's a fascinating topic. I think it's interesting to learn about. I think we've done a fairly good job of kind of laying down some of the reasons to think about it. And I think it's an absolutely essential part of being an artist. Yes. To absolutely. always be pushing yourself, learning new skills, pushing the subjects that you're willing to draw, the materials you're willing to use, uh, the places you're willing to take your art. There's so many places to go with it. And we have to be open to it and and try out new stuff. Hey, I think it's time to st- start thinking about wrapping this up. So I wanted to remind you again, we, we love feedback, particularly constructive and productive feedback. So please write to us at podcast at sketchbookschool.com with any insights and input you might have for us, ideas, questions, anything you'd like to say to us, please email us and tell us. And do you have any final parting thoughts for us, Jack? I guess a, a, a parting thought is uh, something that we all can do to help us adopt more of a growth mindset. And by the way, everybody has a mixture in them. Even Carol Dweck and Joe Bowler, the you know key researchers in this, will have you know the 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 fixed mindset thoughts and ideas will will pop into their head. But one of the really powerful things you can do to start to unpack and redirect that kind of thinking and energy is is just the term yet. Yeah. It's a really powerful idea. I, I, I can't draw faces. Anytime that you're thinking, I can't, bust out your yet on it. And the when you start slapping some yet onto that kind of thinking it opens it up into as, as a possibility for your future right. and also to embrace the idea that something that I, I i anytime my daughters say this is hard they know what i'm going to say next and that is that's the feeling of your brain growing right so things that are worth doing often take effort and energy and are challenging and because something is hard that's not that's not the signal that you should be doing something else that's the signal that your brain is being challenged and that's the place that you want to be in in order to grow it that's a great closing thought thank you so much and thanks again jack i'll see you next week when we discuss something else of interest Look forward to it, Danny. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. And remember, visit sketchbookschool.com and claim your free ebook and your monthly newsletter. Our community is always growing, and we'd love for you to be a part of it. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Art for All.